Hi, I'm Frank Daly, and welcome to That Sounds Interesting podcast, which features interviews, discussions, and short stories on topics which are unusual but relevant in the current world. These days, when you are not completely overrun with coronavirus stories, you may see stories about cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin, for example, has been in the news a lot in recent times because its value has soared to a staggering $54,000 per Bitcoin. In fact, actually, I believe it even went to $58,000 yesterday. But what exactly is cryptocurrency? Where did it come from? Why is it important? And why is Bitcoin suddenly so valuable? Today's guest is the multi-talented Magella Horn, who is a writer, an editor, an actor, and who has been interested in cryptocurrency from its early days. She's not a financial professional, but she can speak plainly about the topic as an enthusiast of digital currency. So welcome, Magella, and I'm delighted to have you on That Sounds Interesting podcast. Thanks, Frank. It's great to be here. Before we get into today's topic, can you give me just a little bit of background? Uh, Well, I have an interesting uh, CV. I've changed from being a nurse to an actress to being a researcher in health studies. That led me to work in Berlin where by chance in 2013, I came across Bitcoin through an art exhibition, actually. Um, And it was set up like an exchange with people wearing bowler hats and little uh, blackboards and had a DJ, as you almost always have to have in Berlin. And people were trading Bitcoin. And that's where I first learned about it and became interested in the whole idea of cryptocurrency and an alternative basically to the existing system and I got hooked I guess. Okay and so you knew absolutely nothing before you went along to this exhibition? Yeah and um, Berlin was a real hub and still is a real hub for cryptocurrency and Bitcoin Um, and at the time it was a lot of developers because basically it was still at the very very early stage and it's still at the early stages but at the very very early stages And a lot of those people were just interested in social change and what Bitcoin could do. One of the big things was that any, because there's so many people in the world um, locked out of bank accounts and that as long as you have a smartphone, uh, you can basically get a loan from somebody, from a peer, from anybody. So it's a bit like having a bank account in your pocket. Um, And although people say, well, a smartphone, but actually in places like Africa, they've some places there have better internet coverage than we do and do have smartphones. So it's not that it's limited to a certain echelon of society. The, the idea is that it's decentralized and it makes things fairer. Okay, so it's a kind of an alternative banking system. That's what I'm hearing from you. Well, ori- the original Bitcoin white paper was written um, specifically because of the crash of the financial crash in 2008. It was a direct reaction to that, to create an alternative. Um, Now, it's a bit odd because we talk about cryptocurrencies as if it's money. Um, And in a way, Bitcoin was designed as uh, a means of finance. But now there are thousands of, by thousands of tokens, which all come under the umbrella of currencies. But a lot of them aren't designed to be used as currencies. They're designed for the blockchain system. So really when we're talking about cryptocurrencies, um, a lot of the time we're talking about blockchain, which is basically just um, software. It's computer software that's run in a decentralized way. So it's not one person who's deciding, well, depending on, on the consensus, it's not one person deciding on how things are done. 
and that generally the whole idea behind blockchain is that it's supposed to be decentralized, transparent, and fairer. And a lot of people in the whole blockchain industry are working towards what they call the next generation of the internet, Web 3.0, which they see as a fairer internet, um, which takes the power away from big companies. So uh, there's still, even though there's a lot of talk about money in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and blockchain, there's still a lot of idealism about creating a better future. Okay, so blockchain is being that backbone of uh, cryptocurrency. And I guess uh, because it's distributed across lots of different servers, it's copies of itself in different places and verifiable. But is Bitcoin not a currency? Yeah, Bitcoin was designed as a currency. But um, having said that, it's not. If you wanted to use Bitcoin to buy your coffee, it's certainly not the best one to use. It's expensive. It's still using proof of work as a consensus, which is bad for the environment. It's slow, relatively. It's, um, you know, you're not going to spend 20 euro to buy a five euro for a transaction to buy a five euro coffee. So since Bitcoin was invented, there are a lot of other currencies like Dash that are actually designed to be used as currencies in a day to day way. Whereas Bitcoin now seems to be taking on more of the idea of being um, a store of value, like digital gold, I've heard called a lot of the time. So rather than being something you're going to spend, I mean, they, they're still people still celebrate Bitcoin Pizza Day, which was the first Bitcoin trade where somebody bought a pizza for, I can't remember the amount of Bitcoins, but that pizza would have cost up several million <laughs> today's money. <laughs> wow, wow. So, so, so obviously as an investment opportunity then uh, in, in Bitcoin, and I know a lot of people are investing and we'll talk about that in a little bit later on, but um, going back to your point about uh, the fact that uh, Bitcoin is being used as like a digital gold, I mean, there is a limited number of Bitcoins that can be actually mined, and we'll talk about mining Bitcoins in a minute, but there is a an absolute finite limit of Bitcoin, isn't there? That's true. Uh, the, it's designed that there'll be a maximum of 21 million. And we're up to about 18 million mined altogether. So there's still, I think they, there's another 10 or 15 years or something. So there'll be less and less until we hit that 21 million. Also in that, there's uh, a lot of Bitcoin has been lost or stolen or otherwise is sitting in wallets that can't be accessed. So in total, there'll be less than 21 million. The fact that there's a limited supply here gives it maybe the basis of being something that a, a an actual currency could be based on, like a dollar or a, a, a euro or a, a UK a sterling, whatever, um, the way they used to be based on in gold in the past. Yeah, I think that's why people compare it to gold. So it's rather than being a currency backed by gold, it could potentially be something backed by Bitcoin. Um, having said that, there's been a lot of forks on Bitcoin, but the actual, the original Bitcoin will only ever be 21 billion. And what's a fork exactly on a fork on Bitcoin? Well, traditionally, um, the blockchains, if they want to change the way they're run, and because everything is decentralized, they can't just update the way software normally can. Now, that's changing. There's a couple of new um, chains coming out, like Polkadot, where they can actually change the runtime without forking. But otherwise, you would have, if if the community 
with Bitcoin, it is the perfect example of a decentralized community. There is no one Bitcoin person who decides or Bitcoin group. So often decisions are made by devs at conferences. And as some people say, we need to do this to make fees cheaper. And others say, no, we don't. What happens is they end up forking into create to create two different coins. Um, oh, okay, that's and that kind or, of or explains. just forking the system. Just the same happened with Ethereum. So you get Ethereum Classic and Ethereum. Um, that kind of explains why there is so many uh, uh, cryptocurrencies. That well, yeah. Yet now people can build quite e- quite well. I say quite easily, quite easily. If you're a developer, there's even um, uh, kind of development kits that help you or give you all of the. It's like a plug and play blockchain and you can add your own modules that are already created and create literally for your own use case so um it's moving away from being something that only blockchain developers can do to something that people who are developer developers can pretty quickly learn how to create something like an application um with specific use cases rather than having to adapt to whatever already existing its usage is really morphing into other things than just being a currency that's a digital currency in some ways yeah and a lot of the times i hear people saying well blockchain you know what's the use of that my you know my my mother's never going to be able to use that and my thing is it's software and that's what people forget. So it's like as long as your mother or your grandmother or whoever is able to use an app on a smartphone, you don't think what is this app written with JavaScript or Ruby or whatever. It's, you just you use the app. It's technology behind that things will be built on. And that's also for a lot of people buying um, who buy cryptocurrency because there's a lot of people who just go into it because they want to make money. And very often it's just a fashion um, so they buy a coin because they've heard some influencers saying it rather, whereas people really need to look at what the, the currency claims to do. Um, and a lot of there's a lot of very interesting projects out there. So you were saying that the common person can use cryptocurrency like the way driving a car. You don't need to know how the car works in order to drive the car. You just need to know, to know how to drive. So in, in, the, in the future, because it will be, they, for example, the apps can be built using blockchain. You won't need to know blockchain. You'll just use the app the way you use a normally a normal app. Okay, and the technology is underneath and embedded yeah, in there. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's what crypto and blockchain is. It's the technology underneath. And then there are other some that are used as currencies. So what about mining Bitcoins and, uh, and and why is it so energy intensive? It uses the proof of work consensus mechanism, which is the way that everybody agrees that things are right. For proof of work, it means a lot of computers all over the world trying as quickly as possible to solve a mathematical solution. Um, and the one who gets it first gets the Bitcoin. So it's a really wasteful way of finding consensus. Now, most of the, or not most, but certainly the proof of stake is a a consensus mechanism that's used by more the newer ones, and that's less energy intensive. 
Okay, so, so you have these PCs or servers or other devices churning away trying to solve this mathematical problem and using up a lot of energy as a result of that heating and have to be cooled down because they're doing so such intensive work. And then that's what uses the energy and it takes weeks or months in order to, for them to actually find a coin. To actually and it's also it. wasteful because you have a lot of people who are not going to get working at the same time. Okay, no, of end, course. There's only one yeah. winner. Exactly. Yet you've used up like hundreds or thousands of uh, PCs have have done the same work, and yet only one of them man- managed to get that single Bitcoin. So mm-hmm. obviously that that's uh, not a very efficient way of of dealing it. Though I did hear at one stage when I was in Berlin, um, there was a company which was Siberian. Siberian, exactly. <laughs> Siberian mining, okay, and it was basically uh, they were doing mining with the PCs actually in Siberia because it was so cold, and it it actually cooled down the the uh, PCs without having to spend energy actually in doing it. But yeah, yeah it obviously it, even with that, it's still a, an inefficient way of 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 uh, actually finding out the next bitcoins. So, what about governments involved in cryptocurrency? Do governments own any crypto? currencies um i suspect if they do at this stage they wouldn't admit it governments like to be in control of the currencies and know what people are doing so a lot of governments are talking about creating centralized digital currencies which is not the same as these decentralized currencies which also brings me to a point because a lot of people say well the governments need to be able to control it they need to know who to tax these are all a matter of opinion i guess but once you know somebody's Bitcoin address, you can tell what numbers are moving in and out of there. So in it's not something that governments, maybe governments will start using it. I know a lot of big um, investment companies seem to be starting to buy things up despite having sworn they never would. Um, yes, I guess the thing is that if governments start to use cryptocurrency, it's kind of normalizing something which cryptocurrencies were attempting to get away from. They were getting uh, get an alternative way where you weren't stuck to one particular country or one particular location. It could be anywhere around the world. And some of the aspects of it that make it attractive and there was an an anonymous element to it as well but as you pointed out there once you know somebody's bitcoin uh, um, address then you can uh, it's not anonymous they can obviously track it and it's transparent to everyone the beauty of the design of blockchain is that it can be decentralized so that you don't have to trust one person or one institute or one government that that's spread around all of the people within that system, which usually means the people who own the token of that system. A, l- a lot of the projects coming up now really are paying attention to uh, regulations, what they can do, so that they don't have government saying it's illegal to ha- own this currency in this country. Even though there's nothing, you know, because it's on your wallet, it's very hard to, to show if somebody has it. But they do tend to follow guidelines, make things genuinely decentralized. Um, And in a lot of them, if you own the token, you've got a choice in how the system is run. Uh, A lot of the security is based on people staking their tokens. Um, So because if you stake your token in the system, you're not going to mess it up. (laughs) Um, There are a few tokens where even on exchanges, you can stake 
uh, either nominate or delegate your tokens to the nodes that are, are managing the security of the system. And because all blockchains are different, they all have different systems, but a lot of the proof of stake systems will have that where you you can stake your token. I think the Ethereum now is moving from the proof of work, which is the same kind of system as blockchain. So the new Ethereum 2 will use proof of stake. You're actually already able to stake your Ethereum, lock it, lock it up, so to speak, to support the validators. So you get a percentage of what their payment, I suppose, from it for securing the system. Um, so it's not just sitting cold, waiting, hoping that the money will go up. It's actually being used, or the value will go up. It's actually being used to make the system work. So you mentioned Ethereum then as being another cryptocurrency. Maybe maybe we could talk about a couple of the popular cryptocurrencies that are out there. Uh, well, Ethereum is the second biggest. Um, that was invented, oh, when was it, 2015, I think it only came on the scene which kind of seems crazy. <laughs> it's like a month is a long time in blockchain. A lot of things happened. Well, when um, was, was Bitcoin originally started? The white paper was published in 2008. And did they actually start, though, trading cryptocurrency and mining cryptocurrency in 2008? Or was it a little bit later than that? I think once the paper came out, people started experimenting with it. So on, and but it was worth, I mean, Bitcoin was worth cents that time. So anybody who held on to them is happy but a lot of people didn't it was worth almost worthless so of course and that's the thing actually if you're in something for the long term you know uh, and you stick to it then if you haven't to if you've backed the right horse i guess really uh, it can become very uh, very valuable now just you so you mentioned uh, ethereum around 2015 and you you mentioned briefly dash as well what exactly is dash and that's using for a specific type of of uh, usage that was, that's Dash is another blockchain that was developed specifically to be used as a currency. And it was also designed to uh, so that 10% of the income generated around the currency would go to the community and would also cover things like marketing, which is really important because there's some really nice BitShares has been out for a long time, which I think is a really nice cryptocurrency. But because there's nothing built in to pay developers, to pay for people to know about it, it's not just whether it's the best. Um, sometimes the best isn't the one that makes it. It's, it's the one that's got the community and, and that can constantly evolve and that you hear about. So that marketing element of it, um, how is that done? How do people market a cryptocurrency? First, it helps if there's been um, money built into the system, like with Dash, where there was always it was written into the programming that some of it would go to marketing to the community. A lot of it is community based. It's, I guess, it's the same as anything. There's a lot. I mean, there's a huge uh, amount of influencers on crypto Twitter, on YouTube, um, and all of these places. So it's there's there's a lot of hype. So it's all it's always a thing of actually listening to what people are actually saying and what's behind what they're talking about. Okay, and you have obviously very high-profile people, like, for example, um, Elon Musk had been making some comments exactly. about dog. Was yeah. it dog? dog coin? Doja coin. Doja coin. I mean, and Doja, even at the last, because it's a few years since the last highs, um, and even then when Doja coin was pumping, the person, the people who... who invented Dogecoin were saying, guys, we invented this as a joke. 
Um, and they did. They invented it. It was funny. It was it was a meme. Um, but it's taken on a life of its own, which goes back to what, when when a community decides something. So it becomes a bit like a fiat currency. If if people decide it has value, then it's got value for that's, as long as people continue to decide that. Actually, that, that's a really interesting point. I I think Magella, because that kind of in some way in some ways actually compares it like art, like you know. People can decide what is and it is an art and can have a value associated with it. And well, so- there's even art now. They call them non-fungible tokens. There was something sold for a million or something recently. Um, so they're like digital art that um, have a value that people are spending a lot of money on, on the blockchain. And there was crypto kitties a while back. They, they crashed Ethereum network for a while because so many people were buying these Basically, ugly little cats. <laughs> so, okay, so they're very expensive to buy. So, so, so that's a symbol of some sort, or an image that people are trading, and they're saying this is yeah. worth a certain amount of value. But then, is that not subject to all sorts of potential fraud, or is it that the image is nothing at all? It doesn't matter. If the image is tied directly to something in in the blockchain itself, and that's what makes it unique and not not yeah. uh, fakeable. Yeah. Um, the whole thing about the blockchain is that once it's there, you should be able to see if somebody has changed it. So it's not that other people can't see your image, but that the the ownership of that image is on the blockchain. Okay. And so what about buying things with cryptocurrency that are in the physical real world? Can you do that? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people are, they call them hodlers. So somebody way back when misspelled hold and it became a a thing. So hodlers are people who just buy their crypto bit by bit and hold on to it. But uh, it's always good to have an exit route that if you do decide or when you do decide, okay, now I want to sell some that you got a way out. For a while, there were a lot of credit cards or not a lot, but a few and then closed down because of regulations. But at the moment, um, CryptoPay uh, seems to have a, a card in, or at least in Europe. A lot of, there's still a lot of more restrictions in the states. But in Europe, um, as far as I know, there's CryptoPay, Bitpanda, and Bitwalla all have cards attached that you can change to your crypto. Anybody then who wants to just dabble without all the hassle of having to own private keys, there's things like Revolut. Where you can literally change, you can, I mean, you can change your euros into sterling, or, or, but you can also change it into Bitcoin. So you don't own Bitcoin, but if the value goes up, your value of your euro goes up, and if your value goes down, the value goes down. So that's a way for people who are kind of going, well, I'm not sure I want to commit to all the hassle of Bitcoin, but I'd like to put twenty quid in and watch it go up and down. Okay, that's, that's a really good. That's a that's a really real world uh, use of yeah. it. You never own Bitcoin in Revolut. It's never you. It's never actually Bitcoin. It's only it's pegged as a currency, like any other currency. But uh, for somebody who doesn't want the hassle of uh, because with anything in cryptocurrency, you need wallets, you need keys, and if you don't, if you lose those, you've lost your access to your wallet mostly. Okay, so what is a crypto wallet then? Um, just it depends. It's. There are, for example, for Bitcoin, there's lots of wallets that have been built. So they're like an app on your phone or on your computer. Or you can have cold wallets that are uh, like a, uh, a hard drive or not a hard drive. A thumb drive. A thumb drive. Like a thumb yeah. drive, yeah. yeah. The cold wallets are, are off, completely off the system. Um, 
And the other wallets uh, can be, um, they are usually apps on phones or on computer. Um, and you need to, there's a saying in, in crypto, if you don't have the keys, you don't have the crypto. So the private keys are usually either a list of long list of numbers or a list of 12 or 20 or whatever words, nomic phrases. Um, so if you lose your phone, you can always restore the wallet as long as you have those numbers of that phrase. If you don't have them, you've lost it. So this is why it's not a, it's not like your money in the bank and you lose your password and you ring up and say, can you reset the password? There are some places that do offer that, but then if they're holding your private keys, then... Of course, they could just decide yeah. to take it yeah. and there'd be no comeback from you, actually, if you decided to yeah. trust them. Yeah, hold it in your own wallet with your own private keys, ideally in cold storage. or because if you And especially with when people buy coins and then leave them on the exchange, there's really no security there. If the exchange goes or if it gets hacked, you've lost anything that you had up there. Okay, okay. I did hear of some guy who had thrown out a, a hard drive when yes. he was, and then he, he wants to pay a local council to dig up the uh, the dump in or and yeah. and offer to give them some money, but they refused. And somewhere yeah. in that dump is actually a hard drive that has millions of Bitcoin. Yeah. So you have to be very careful what you do with it once you because there's no way back really. You either. Keep it carefully. Remember what the actual uh, five sets of words or whatever the words that are the key to it. Remember them or write them down, but still keep them securely. Uh, uh, otherwise, you you lose access to it. So what about crypto exchanges then? Well, the exchanges are where you can buy or trade the different coins. Um, and there's a lot of exchanges. There's a lot of cryptocurrency. I mean, the last time, a few years ago, there were over 2,000. And there's probably more. I mean, literally anybody can set up their own crypto. So the bigger exchanges will wait until the coins are well established. Some will specialize. So if you hear of a great new coin, you may have to join a new exchange just to buy that coin if there's only one or two. Uh, selling or dealing with it. Okay, so it depends. Like like any new share, in some ways, sometimes shares are only traded on certain exchanges, and yeah. you yeah. and and there's less people wanting to buy and sell them. So you have to decide whether it's going to be something. I mean, that might be worthwhile getting in early, and then in the longer term, it might grow like something like Bitcoin, I guess. We talked about finite limits of Bitcoin being 21 million Bitcoins or something around that. Is there finite limits on all of the other cryptocurrencies or is that just related to Bitcoin? Because they can all be written to suit their own purpose. So it depends. People can write it to have a finite number and write it to be inflationary. Some of them have written it to be inflationary but burn off the extra if they're not used. So basically they can write... The, any rules and regulations into the Bitcoin. Okay, okay. And so then that's why the whole idea of a product, basically. The different cryptocurrencies are different products that are available that uh, that users can decide, well, I like this type of arrangement, so I might invest something in, in this area. Just in terms of actually learning more about the topic, are there books and websites that you might recommend or maybe forums that are getting more information about cryptocurrency? Uh, well, Anton Antonopoulos is the, he's been doing YouTube videos forever on Bitcoin and he's really passionate about it. He's a really good educator. So a lot of people follow him on YouTube or on Twitter. 
Um, there's crypto Twitter. So I think once you start going down that rabbit hole, it just never stops. So you start finding <laughs> Okay, you could spend all your time actually just following all day, every day, uh, putting crypto on YouTube or on Twitter, and you get masses. Um, But that's the—I mean—that's the problem, I guess. With so much stuff in different areas, it's hard to know if there are a couple of the beginner's guide to investing in cryptocurrency or learning about cryptocurrency. Where one that I would recommend is um, Anya, our mutual acquaintance, Anya Schutz. Mm -hmm. So she has conscious crypto community. Um, she's got a she's got a Patreon now. Actually, that's good. Uh, so you can sign up on the first of the month. Well, you can sign up anytime, but it starts on the first of the month. I think it's about eight euros a month, and then you get a free copy of her uh, digital book, which is a really good introduction to um, crypto. I'll get the details from you and put it on the uh, descriptions associated with this podcast, Majella. The Binance Exchange do Binance Academy, which is a introduction to crypto. Like finance would it be? Okay, Magella. So look, that's been a super introduction. It answered a lot of questions, but it made me think about a lot of other items around the uh, the topic as well. But you've been a mine of information. Thanks very much, Magella, for your involvement on this podcast and for the information that you provided. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Okay, that's it for now. I'll be back soon with another guest and another podcast of That Sounds Interesting. And see you next time. (music) 